Well, church, it's good to be back with you. We have started a series in 1 John. And I wanted to do a quick review of last week as we launch into our text today. We'll find that last week's text, the beginning part of chapter 1, uh, ushers us right into our text today and will help our understanding. So let's get right into it. If we look at 1 John, starting from the beginning, we see a lot of overlap from the Gospel of John, which he also wrote. This is what it says. And that, that which was from the beginning, what was the truth or known from, from eternity past, from the start, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and touch with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is saying that this truth was known from the beginning, that there was a truth that superseded time. There was a truth here that he has heard, he has seen with his own eyes, he has touched with his hands, and this truth has to do with the word of life. Now we can think back and remember when God created all things, he spoke it into creation. There was a word that gave life to all things that were created. John is saying here, the reality of this, we have heard it, seen it, and even touched it. That this word of life indeed came into life was manifested to people in time and in history, and this reality is what John is testifying to and proclaiming to, because this reality is Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh. It is this Word that gives life, life that is eternal. And that is why John is testifying to it. He is proclaiming it. It is this very word, this very Christ, this very Jesus that was with God, with the Father from the beginning. And so we can almost hear the echoes of John 1 where we are told that the word was God and the word was with God. And as he also tells us, the word became flesh. John continues here, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. Why? The purpose clause is here. Why is John proclaiming this to us and to the people that he wrote to in the original context? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now this is the whole theme and point of why John is writing 1 John here. If you think about it, what John is saying that he is saying that before time there was a truth that existed. And the reality of this truth is found in Jesus Christ who was born a man into time and history, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and was raised in three days so that those who believe in him will not only die to this world that is fleeting but also have a new life in him so that just as he walks in life, we too may walk in newness of life. John is saying that him and his fellow witnesses, they heard this good news, 
They saw this good news, and they even touched and grasped with their hands the reality of Christ who accomplished this good news. John is saying, we heard it, we saw it, we touched it. It had a personal effect on our lives, and so now we are testifying to it. We are sharing a testimony of what Jesus did to me, to us. We are testifying as witnesses. And it was so good for me and so good for my brothers and sisters. We are now proclaiming it to you. We are proclaiming it with zeal, with excitement, with joy, because it changed my life so much, we want it to change yours too. We are proclaiming it because it is good news. It's worthy to be proclaimed, and it can transform lives. In fact, it's so good, not only are we going to testify to it to everyone we meet, not only are we going to proclaim it, to everyone we see, we're also going to write it so that it can be spread across all land and sea and areas, more so so that it can be passed down from generation to generation so that people would have a faith that is true, a faith that was true before even time began, that was true even in the beginning, a truth that is tethered on Jesus Christ who was born a man to save sinners like you and I. They heard it, they saw it, they touched it. They were affected by it in such a personal way, they are now testifying to it, they're proclaiming it, they've written it down to pass on to the generations to follow, so that why? He tells us. What is the point of all what John is about to write here in this book? So that we may have fellowship with the Father through the Son, so that our joy would be made complete, so that our joy would be full. Now again, I know we touched upon it last week, but if you are not a believer, if you're not a Christian, and you've been hearing this message, whether at this church or at different churches or your friend has been sharing to you, if you do not yet believe, I challenge and encourage you to think about it. If Christianity was indeed false and was going to be debunked, wouldn't, have been done, wouldn't it have been done then when they could actually go and hear about it from others? Hey, did this really happen? Wouldn't it have been done in the first century when those who have seen it can be uh, interviewed and tested and, and questioned? Wouldn't it be done in a time where there were people who actually touched it? Are we foolish to think that our modern-day science or our, our people or our, our, our growth as, as intelligible beings are so much greater than those people of the past? that they were just ignorant and stupid? If Christianity was indeed false, would it not have a better motive than to give people joy? It doesn't say that, hey, I, I heard it, I saw it, I touched it. I'm telling you now, I wrote it down so that the church can be profitable, make a lot of money, take advantage of people, spread this good news, and so that at the end of the day we can say, hey, we won. No, it has been testified, proclaimed, and written so that those who hear it would have a joy that is full, a joy that is complete, so that those who hear it would have a fellowship, a personal relationship with God who created us, with God who created all things. And if you are a Christian, can I challenge and encourage you this morning to remember this reality that our belief in Christ, our faith as Christians, 
The sole central focus is so that our joy may be complete in God the Father. Oftentimes, we think that Christianity has so much restrictions and do's and don'ts, but the heart of God, the heart of Christianity is so that those who believe will find a joy that is full, a joy that is complete through a personal relationship with God. And so ultimately, it boils down to this. John is testifying to this. We are hearing this this morning on this Sunday from this pulpit in this room so that those who hear this good news would have fellowship with God, would have a personal relationship with God, and that this personal relationship leads to a fullness of joy, a completion of joy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Work down in my heart. Work down in my heart. The point of the Christian message often is captured in Christian songs so well, right? The point of the good news of Jesus Christ is so that we would have a personal relationship with God, so that we would have a joy that is full and everlasting in the context of a broken world. I talked to a brother that I've known for many years, he called me recently and he shared how great life was going. He had gotten the job that he wanted to, he was moving to a place that he wanted to be, and it seemed like everything was lining up and it was going well. But then he shared that he was struggling with one thing. I knew from way back that his parents had separated and he always had uh, a tough time with one of his parents, building a relationship with his father. And he said, I don't get it, everything is going so good. But because my relationship with my father is not there or existent, I feel sad. I remember he called me the day after Father's Day. And he said, even though everything in life is going well, all I want is a relationship with my dad. And if this is true of an earthly father, how much so is it for you and I who have been created by God in his image. Some of us, we have a lot of things. We ha seem to have a life that is going well. We have things that, that, that we've yearned for and strived for and achieved. But the question today is, do you have a fullness or a completeness of joy? John wants us to know. It's when we have a personal relationship with God, our joy is made complete. And so we go into our text today. And the main point is that the work of Jesus allows sinful man to have a personal relationship with God. A very basic and simple gospel message, isn't it? The work of Jesus allows sinful man to have a personal relationship with God. And so we'll look at three points. God is light, man is sinful, and Christ is advocate. I know that's bad grammar. Christ is the advocate, but I wanted to, you know, do the whole thing right there. So God is light, man is sinful, and Christ is advocate. First point, God is light. If we look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it starts out like this. Again, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and now proclaim to you that God is light and in him 
is no darkness at all. Now we got to ask, what does it mean that God is light? If we continue, we see that John wrote in his Gospels like this. In chapter 1, 4 through 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There seems to be an association with light and life. Elsewhere, John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 Timothy 8. Paul writes here, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6. Who alone, referring to God, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light? whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now these texts were brought up because it will help us understand what we mean by saying God is light. We are saying that God is light in such a way that he gives life. That God is light in such a way where he guides people's paths so that they may walk in light. That through Jesus, although God is inapproachable, although God was never seen, that we can indeed see and approach him in Christ. What we are saying is that God is light, meaning God is life. God has knowledge. He is pure and he has presence. If we think about it in categories of his attributions, we can say that he is eternal. He is omniscient. He is holy. He is imminent. That there is indeed a mystery about God that we cannot fully understand, but there is no darkness at all. That's saying that God as light is life itself. That he is the life giver. That he is eternal with no beginning or end. He is the one that created all things and therefore this God who is light can give life to the dying. This is a God who knows all things, who knows our deepest shames, our deepest darkness, our, our deepest sins. This is a God who knows the hair on our head, the stars in the sky, the, the grain of, of sand in the sea. This is a God who knows all things as light. There is not, nothing that is hidden from him. This is a God who is pure and holy and set apart and unlike any other created things that will let us down or, or lead us along, this is a God who is completely other, who is transcendent, who is different, set apart. Yet he is a God who is also imminent, drawing near to us. When we say God is light, we are saying that he is the one who gives life, he is the one that gives knowledge and understanding. He is the one that draws us out of darkness. He is the one that teaches us how to be pure and holy and set apart. He is the one who draws near to us. No, we can't ever fully understand God, but we know there is no darkness in him because God is light. Second point, man is sinful. If we understand that God is light, and man is sinful, 
I want to give you fair warning now that there is, it is normal to feel a certain uh, uh, angst or discrepancy. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is here in scripture, then as we talk about our sinfulness, we're going to feel a little uncomfortable. It's normal. It's not to lead us into guilt or to guilt trip us, but it's to show us how separate in reality we actually are, how sin has separated us from this holy God who is light, who is life. So the second thing we understand here in our text is that man is sinful. Now, there's a lot of ifs. The first time when we read it through, all we heard here is, if this, then this. If this, then this. If this, then this. And there seems to be a rhythm of it, but it's a little bit hard to make sense. But let's try to clarify it here. If we think about it, what John is doing is going back and forth from truth and falsehood. Truth and falsehood. Truth and falsehood. Verse 5, when he said God is light, he is telling what is true. Now he's going to tell what is false. In verse 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship, if we say we have a personal relationship with him, when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. For those of you guys who are not Christians, I know. The biggest struggle that you guys often have is the hypocrisy of Christians. So you're going to get yours today, okay? And if you're a Christian and you believe we got to talk about some issues in our heart and the way we are living our lives and how oftentimes it's, it's, it's hypocritical and, and, and colliding with what we say we believe. All right, so John is saying this. He's saying that if we say we have fellowship, if we say we have a personal relationship, if we say we are a Christian but we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing truth. What does that mean? What does it mean? So as a Christian, if we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, Yes, I believe in a saving power. Yes, I believe that I want to be transformed day by day. And yet at the same time in our lives, in the secret places, either in our hearts, our thoughts, or in the areas where we live, if we are walking in darkness, then we are not actually united in having fellowship with God who is light. If we are walking in darkness and indulging in secret sins and constantly falling and stumbling, if we are living any other way that is in, in, in competition or in juxtaposition with what we are told to live like in the Gospels, then we are walking in darkness. If we find ourselves constantly spinning lies and truths to try to be accepted, if we constantly find ourselves in these same addictive places, if we find ourselves utterly in shame and darkness, even as a victim stuck in that place, we are being told that we do not have a fellowship with God. Christians, if there are sins in your life that you are indulging in, snacking on, nibbling on, in darkness and in secret, you are not currently in fellowship with God. What we are being told is that if our lives deeply, whether visibly or invisibly, contradict the way we live, if it contradicts what we say we believe, there is something wrong. We are not practicing truth. Verse 7, but... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we do have fellowship with one another. 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have fellowship, but there is darkness, there is secret sins going on that we have not confessed or repented of, then we are not practicing truth. But, verse 7, if we are walking in the light and we have fellowship with one another, we know that our sins are forgiven. This is what we're being told. If you are feeling crushed right now because the Spirit is illuminating sins in your lives, the good news is you don't have to remain crushed. The good news is that we can walk in the light and have fellowship with God. What does that mean? Well, we've established that God is light in such a way that he gives life, that he has all knowledge, that he is holy and pure, and that he draws near to us. If those truths are correct about God, then for us to walk in light means this, that we know about God, that we don't hide behind ignorance, that we don't neglect the study of who he is and growing in personal relationship, that we look to him to give us life and joy, not the things of this world. I mean, how much money do you really think we have to make to find joy? How, much, how many things do you think we need to acquire to finally feel full? But walking in the light helps us to see that God satisfies. That as we know who he is in deeper ways, we know who we are in even deeper ways. Just as God is pure when we walk in light, we are told to live a life that is different from the functioning realities of this broken world. If we're walking in darkness, we have no other option than to respond to the brokenness of sin with more sinfulness. But if we're operating and walking in light, we can walk in such a way where we can forgive, we can minister to, we can draw near. For us to walk in light means to live a life that is in line with what we say we believe. Because even as we walk in this light, we know that Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we'll come back to this. So he continues, again, if, falsehood here, all right, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we're not practicing truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and our sins are forgiven. But, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, most Christians would confess, yes, I'm a sinner, I'm sinful. But how often in our daily living do we live in such a way where that understanding of sin passes over us, where we feel so overwhelmed in the practice or so used to in the, being in the practice of certain sins where we say, well, maybe this is not really that sinful anymore, where the familiarity of it has singed our conscience in such a way where we don't really feel like it's a sin anymore. What we're being told is that if we believe that there is no sin in us, then we're only deceiving ourselves. Whether you believe or you do not believe, we are being told that we are all sinful, 
that we are all prone to wander and find joy in things other than God. That we are sinful in such a way we will fill our minds, our hearts, and our bellies with various forms of false gods when the true and living God wants to pursue us and be with us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, and forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As John goes back and forth, he wants to establish two things. It's very easy to deceive ourselves. In Jeremiah, we're told that the heart is more deceitful than all things. Who can understand it? Only God can help us understand it. We're being told that whether you're a Christian or not, we are so easily deceived and convinced that we are living a moral and upright life when in fact so often we're prone to stumble in selfishness, in brokenness. If we acknowledge that we indeed are sinful, if we confess we are told that our sins are forgiven. Now, why are these things important? Because right now, they, they just seem like Christian doctrines or, or Christianese. These things are important because if God is truly light and holy and set apart, if we are truly broken and sinful, then that means there is a big gap between us and God. That means a personal relationship is not possible. If a personal relationship with the one who created us, our Father, is not possible, that means the joy cannot be full. The joy cannot be complete. And this is an issue we see because of our sinfulness. But our hope is that Christ is our advocate. So again, before we move into the next point, I, I want to help us to, to, to really understand this in, in a tangible way. What does it mean to walk in light? Well, first it means to reflect God's character. And when we're talking about knowledge, to, to know God, to, to have a relationship with him. And I know we throw this term around a lot, but one way is to really read the Bible. It's to live life with one another. It's to get to know God and who he is and what he says of himself. It's to have a personal relationship, just like you do with your best friend or your parents or your siblings. It's to know them and to never feel a sense of exhaustion by them. It's to be in their presence for hours and days and years. It's to share deep, intimate moments. It's to come and, and, and be with him. It's to know him. And it's also to walk in light as we reflect God's character is also to have a life that is, that is, that is purely dedicated to him, to commit to him, just as we have made vows to our spouses to commit to God in such a way that you are the only one for me, that you are the only one that satisfies, to commit to him fully as he has committed to us. Walking in the light also means, as our second point showed us, to see ourselves as we truly are. It's to acknowledge that we indeed are sinful. It's to confess our sins to Jesus and it's to continue to walk with Jesus. 
Now, these things are very elementary, rudimentary, basic in the Christian understanding. It is. But the trouble is, brothers and sisters, we often forget it. We often neglect to live it out. We often forget that in moments when we come to worship so weighed down with guilt, that we can come and, 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 and with a full acknowledgement of our sinfulness, confess and to come and to be, to be lifted and forgiven, to continue to walk with him. We have to walk in the light. And this is possible because Jesus is our advocate. And this is the last point. And as we go down, John writes, my little children, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So is John telling us that he's writing these things to us so that we will never sin again? That would be pretty harsh. What we're to understand here is that John is writing these things to us. He is testifying, proclaiming, and writing it so that we would no longer ignorantly or deliberately practice sinning or continue in sinning, but rather, as we have heard before, that we would practice and walk in truth. John is saying, I know you know these things, but I am writing it to you so that you would remember and not continue in sin. That those of us who may be ignorant of our sinfulness would be awakened to it and acknowledge it and know indeed we are sinful. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, but through, through, through days and, and moments and years of, of not coming to him in repentance, that we would remember once more that we are called not to practice darkness or to practice sinning, but actually to practice truth and walking in light. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not go on practicing or continuing deliberately in sin. But, but if anyone does stumble in sin, if anyone right now hearing this message is in a habitual practice of defiance, if anyone right now does feel the burden and the weight of guilt because of their sin, if anyone does sin, the good news is that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What John is telling us is this. Christians, people who are hearing this message, when you hear the gospel, you, would, you will always feel a measure of guilt. You will always feel a measure of, yes, I am a sinner and I'm sinful. But that is supposed to guide us in such a way out of darkness and into light so that we can have a joy complete in him. And this is possible because of Jesus who advocates for us. John continues, what does it mean that Jesus advocates for us? We're being told that Jesus is a propitiation of our sins. Well, there's a big word. Jesus is our advocate because he is the propitiation of our sin. What does this mean? Let's unpack it real quick. This means that Jesus, as a propitiation, he was the sacrifice for our behalf so that we will no longer have God's displeasure and wrath, but actually his favor. More practically, 
Because God is so holy and righteous and we are sinful, what Jesus did was he allowed this gap to be closed in such a way that we can have a personal relationship with him. He died for our sins. He paid for our sins so that the separation would be no more, so that we would have a personal relationship with him, so that we would experience a joy complete in him. He was a propitiation, a a substitute on our behalf, so that as he received all the displeasures of sin, as he received all the shame and the wrath of sin, you and I can experience the grace of God, the light, the life, the knowledge, the purity, the presence of God, so that we can walk in light. Jesus advocates for us. Jesus intercedes for you and I. If we are stumbling in sin, turn to Jesus who advocates for us. The message is so simple. If you are stuck right now, if you are continually in a certain sin, turn to Jesus who advocates for you. Turn to him and believe that he indeed paid for your sins so that you don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to earn your adoption as a son or daughter of God. That you can come to him, have a personal relationship with him, and have your joy filled in him. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And John here opens this good news up, not just to those who are able to hear it and have access to it, but he's saying if you hear this good news now, then you have to understand that this good news needs to go forth for all those who believe can come. John is saying that this good news, that Jesus is our advocate, can be shared. It should be shared. And that any who hear, any who are in darkness, can come and walk in light. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So how do we know that we are walking in the light? How do we know that we are living a life that is faithful to what we believe? How do we know that we are not living a double life? Well, it's to know Christ. It's to know him and to walk with him. It's to know him in such a way that we would obey his commands and imitate him. As verse 7 here says, excuse me, as verse 6 here says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We're being told for us to walk in light. We can simply follow his commands and imitate his life. It's a pattern of faithful obedience and imitation. How do we grow in Christ-likeness? We obey his commands and we imitate him. Like we would imitate anyone we want to be like. We follow after them. And it's not to earn a fellowship or a joy. It's to experience it. 
So to close, particularly those of us who, who do not believe, and, and, and if you do believe and you've forgotten, the, the beauty of the Christian message is that, that when we have a personal relationship with God, our joy can be full. And that we don't have to, we don't have to do these things to earn it, but we do these things to experience it. So brothers and sisters, let us grow in our obedience and imitation of Christ. And, and, and if, if you have been stumbled in the past by Christians who, who are living their lives hypocritically, forgive us. Be patient with us. I'm one of the biggest hypocrites. But we are trying to be obedient and imitate the Lord. We are trying to walk in the light as he calls us. And we are relying not on our own holiness, but we are relying on Christ who advocates for us. Can we go into a time of prayer for a few minutes as we close?